Uh, hi, welcome to episode whatever of God or Whatever. Um, thanks for joining me once again. I am standing unusually still today for this intro. Uh, for the past few, I've either been walking or driving, but today I'm going to stand here against this backdrop. The reason for that is, is that I uh, I drove for about an hour to get here. Here, I should say, this is this wall is the rear wall to St. Peter's Chapel in Bradwell-on-Sea. And I thought it'd be cool to do an intro here, to film an intro here, because it's a cool place and a historical place, um, and very beautiful naturally as well. Uh, But the chapel is closed, which is a bummer, because that's where I was gonna film. And it's really super windy today. Uh, So I've tried this a few times, And every time I've tried walking around, it's been completely inaudible because of the wind. I'm hoping that this this will be the cut. This will be the take, uh, which is audible because I found more or less the one place where I'm a little bit shielded from the wind. So let's see how it goes. So um, how's it going? I hope you guys are okay. Uh, I'm okay. The past month, I mean, I say this at the beginning of every podcast. It's been kind of the same as as the previous few months. Uh, But very excitingly, next week, uh, all being well, I'm going to see my family for the first time in six months, uh, which I'm really excited about. I'm excited to see my niece and my mum and my dad and my sister and my sister's boyfriend. Um, It's been too long since I've seen them, so we're going to celebrate Christmas and Easter and my niece's birthday all together, all rolled into one, uh, which will be great. Um, So I'm feeling pretty positive, pretty optimistic, um, because I've got that to look forward to. And also... Spring is coming, the birds are singing, the sun is shining, even though there's lots of wind. Um, so there's lots to be optimistic and grateful for um, at the moment, uh, even though we are still in lockdown. Uh, but lockdown is beginning to lift in, in little stages. So like I said, I'm here today in Bradwell-on-Sea. This is St. Peter's Chapel. This is certainly the first church in Essex. And I've heard it said that it's the oldest still-functioning church in England. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but I've heard that said. But it's a cool place. It's got a cool story. Um, Saint Sed was a monk who was uh, based on a holy island uh, in Lindisfarne off Scotland. And he sailed down the eastern coast of the UK and landed here. Or landed, hang on, look, I'll show you. Landed there-ish. Uh, and with his friends, with his uh, fellow monks or friars, I'm not sure they, were, uh, they built this chapel uh, hundreds of years ago. And here it is still standing today. Uh, and like I say, it's the first church in Essex. They use it as the, the place from which to evangelize to the people of, to the East Saxons, or the people of Essex as it's now known today. So it's got a, an important history to the place where I live. wondering if that wind is going to be too noisy I'm just letting this little gust past um, it's got an important history to the place where I live but it also it also has an important history to me personally um, we used to so I used to in a previous job I was chaplain to a primary school and once a year we would come with the primary school children to this chapel and we'd uh, it was the, the children who were about to finish at primary school and move up to secondary school and we spent some time with them reflecting on the past six years at the school, on life so far, and all the growing, all the developing that they've done, and then some, give, 
space and opportunity to talk about their anxieties, their concerns about moving up to secondary school, and also the things that they're excited about. And it was just a cool kind of way of reflecting on life and change and growing in the future and the past and that kind of stuff. And we'd go into the chapel, which is cool inside. I wish I could show you, but like just Google it or come visit it yourself on another day when it's open. Um, and we sit, sit in the chapel, we sing some songs, we do some reflection. Um, and it was always a day that I really looked forward to. And it, uh, I think of this place as being a place that's meaningful to me um, and I hope meaningful to those young people and their teachers who would spend the day here with me. Um, so there's kind of a sense of, I guess, kind of homecoming in coming here uh, because of that personal memory, but also because of the spiritual history of this place. It kind of feels like a, a spiritual home for me and the county where I live. Um, anyway, that's why I'm here. It's a shame you can't see it. It'd be even cooler if you could. Um, but you can see this wall. It's a nice wall. Um, today's podcast is with an old friend of mine, uh, Lee. Uh, Lee, somebody who... Do you know, I just thought as I said that, I think I'll probably open all of these by saying today's podcast is with an old friend of mine. And that's kind of how this has turned out. But that's cool. Uh, Lee, somebody who was super important to me uh, at a really formative time in my life. We talk about it a bit in the podcast, so I'm not going to say too much about it here and now. Um, but it was in my late teens, early 20s, I must have been 19, 2021, when we got to know each other. And I had, as a younger teenager, had issues with anxiety and panic attacks and that kind of stuff. Um, and I met Lee just at a time when those issues were beginning to resurface. Uh, and I was suddenly feeling very, uh, I guess, mentally unwell. And Lee, as, as we talk about in the podcast, was a real safe space for me and somebody who kind of gave my mind shelter uh, just by giving me somewhere to hang out and feel safe and talk openly. He also comes from a time in my life which I have really mixed feelings about because um, it was formative and I have lots of good memories and good friends from that time. It's also a time in which my faith and my approach to religion was very different to what it is now much more conservative um, dare I say much say much weirder um, I was I was definitely into creationism I was pretty homophobic uh, I had lots of views and opinions and ways of looking at the world which I don't feel proud of now which I have have really well, not even mixed feelings about. Like, I'm pretty clear that's not who I want to be anymore. Um, so it's interesting talking to Lee because he he was with me in that time of my life and he was part of the same kind of church scene that I was. Um, so we shared, I think, a lot of those views. And what was great talking to Lee was... There's probably still stuff that we disagree on, um, although that didn't really come up. There might not be. Um, but what what we both found, I guess, maybe unsurprisingly is that in the probably 10 years since we'd last seen each other, both of us had been on a pretty significant uh, journey in terms of thinking about faith, life, meaning, spirituality, that kind of stuff. Lee is now a priest uh, in the Church of England. Um, so he's kind of, he's moved more towards the centre of the church, I guess, in a way, in terms of his career, while I have moved away from the centre of the church in the sense that I don't work for the church anymore. So in that sense, our journey's gone a little bit differently. But in terms of our thinking about 
God and life and meaning. There's lots in common. There's lots of stuff that we share. Um, and it was just, it was just so great to talk to him because he's just this peaceful presence. And even if there is stuff that we disagree about, uh, like I said, I don't know if there is or not. Well, there must be because there's stuff I disagree with with everybody. But even if there is stuff that I disagree with about with him, he's just a lovely, peaceful person who makes me feel better, who does good for my soul just to see him and hang out with him. And I hope that you'll have the same experience. There's a lot of kind of inside Christianity talk in this podcast. Um, it's probably a more... It's probably, uh, I should say, I meant the wind blowing uh, outside here, the natural wind, uh, not, oh man, I can't, I can't phrase this without it sounding like a fart. I wasn't talking about farting. Um, what I was saying was, it's a, there's, there's quite a lot of uh, insider talk about Christianity in this, but I hope that um, it's something that if you're not a Christian insider, you'll still find interesting and thought-provoking and it's just kind of interesting hearing about cultures which are slightly different to our own isn't it I think um so I hope that you enjoy it as much as as much as I did um and there was something oh yeah at one point I referenced a book by James Allison I referenced an essay I should say and I hold up a book which is called Jesus the Forgiving Victim um that's not the book that the essay is in. If you, if you wanted to read the essay, which I reference later on, it's actually in a book called Faith Beyond Resentment. So that's just a little, little correcting myself uh, before I get into it. Um, I think that's everything I have to say. I hope you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, like I said at the end of the last podcast, it would really, really mean a lot if you could like, subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or watching this on YouTube um, but just some way of giving a little thumbs up uh, would well it would help my ego for one thing it would just give me a personal little boost but also it's good for the podcast because the algorithms pick up on that kind of stuff and it just means that it gets a slightly bigger audience every time you do that um, so I'd really really appreciate that that's it uh, I'm going to stop waffling I hope this is usable uh, and I'll see you on the other side enjoy here's my conversation with Lee life how are you is it snowing where you are no no it's just rain devon okay. it's always wet here okay uh, apart from april and may when it's uh it's like the caribbean the rest of the time it's wet okay oh. okay uh, we've had a bit of snow up on dartmoor which i can see from my churchyard uh, oh, okay cool top here, you can still see for miles so all the hills of dartmoor you can see and they get a dusting of white on them so I'm imagining uh, you talking about your churchyard and seeing over the hills that you're in a beautiful rural kind of country church in Devon with countryside as far as the eye can see. Yeah, I've got five rural churches. I'm, I'm in Hatherley, living in the Hatherley. Five, is, wow. Uh, yeah, we've all got multiples. Five's quite tame, actually, for down at these parts. Is it really? Hatherley counts as a town. It's the smallest town in Devon, population okay. of about 1,700, something like that. Okay. Four very remote rural villages. So, um, yeah, it's very, very farmy. It's lovely. I feel proper at home with all my cows and sheep. 
I'm sure. I'm sure you do. Yeah, we'll talk more about cows and sheep. I want to <laughs> do some reminiscing, some sheep related reminiscing, but we'll come to that. Um, yeah. So how are you finding? So um, let me just so for lots of people who listen to this podcast aren't Christians and won't know about the way ordination works and won't know about the idea of managing five or six different parishes. So how, how does so I should say that for listeners, Lee is a priest in the Church of England. Um, and how, how does how does managing five churches work? I mean, do, do you kind of go do communion once a week in each of them or something like that? How does it work? Um, well, I think different people work it differently. Um, I'm not entirely alone. I've got a couple of what we call readers who are sort of not quite ordained, but can take services and, mm-hmm. and some lay worship leaders. And uh, so we, we, we have something happening in most churches most weeks. So I'll do two or three on a Sunday, sometimes four. We just scoot around between them. So you, you can feel a bit like a communion dispensing machine on a Sunday because yeah. in the C of E rules, only the priest can do it. So uh, mm-hmm. it, while everybody else is having a wild time with family services and things, we kind of bend to that. But they're not terribly high down here. They're not that bothered about communion all the time. So, um, yeah, a good mix in, really. But, yeah, it's just a case of doing multiple services on a Sunday. Um, but in all, I mean, my five parishes, I've only got three and a half thousand people. So, pastoral yeah. care-wise, you know, I was in, I did my curacy in Biddeford, one town, one big church, um, 17,000 people living there. So, so head for head... It's very different. Everybody knows you here, which is just lovely. Within six months, we felt like we knew everyone. That's and cool. Certainly everyone knew us. I'll tell you what's cool is that you, you say that that's lovely, because I know some people who would say everybody knows you here, which is awful. Um, but it's cool that for you guys, that obviously works really well. Well, you know, apparently nine out of ten Anglican vicars are introverts, and I'm the mm-hmm. one out. Um, so I'm the extrovert, and uh, Lynn's even more extrovert than I am. So... I mean, lockdown thing's been a nightmare for us because we're people, people, people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. which always seems a bit odd. You know, why do you want to go into a thing where your whole world is being involved with people if you find them hard work the whole time? Well, that's really interesting. You know, so I, I would describe myself as an introvert, um, but I, especially in the past year it's been made really clear to me just how much I need and value human company, you know, like having it forcibly removed through the pandemic. Yeah. Like I, like I find myself craving just being with people and, you know, even like I'll put up with small talk if that's what I need to do just for the sake of kind of some, some company and then, you know, to be able to hug someone, you know, to be close to someone, that kind of stuff, which until this past year, I always kind of thought, yeah, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy in my own company. I quite like my own space, but this past year has really highlighted that. Like, I guess with everybody, it's a balance. You need a little bit of both. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, so I'm, I'm obviously not a priest, but I, worked as a youth minister for most of my adult life and still kind of work in that kind of world. And I, I loved running youth groups and being surrounded by people. And even sometimes there, I say being the center of attention, I really, really liked. Um, but it just meant that. You're very I also, good. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> you remember it well. Thank you. Oh, that's kind mm. of you. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I think even despite kind of enjoying that kind of high energy social kind of work. Um, it just meant that I had to look after my day off a little bit more carefully. I think, you know, like I'd, I'd know that 
okay, for a couple of days a week, I won't have a huge amount of energy to be with people and I need that time to rest and recover. But then I'll throw myself back into it and I'll love it again if I've had that time to rest and recover. Yeah. I don't think any of us are black and white one or the other, are we? And I've, That's right. I've certainly moved towards the introvert end from what I used to be, you know, you know from living in community and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I do quite like the bits I'm on my own these days. So uh, I do get it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I think you're, I think we... We all need both, just in, in different levels. Are we, are we in your house now, by the way? I'm just looking uh, yeah, around at your- Yeah, this is my little study. It's not very exciting. Would you like a little tour? Uh, yeah, sure, why not? There's a, you know, the obligatory Vickers bookshelf. Of course, yeah, yeah. With books from the 1970s. All my little odd collections of strange things, just to keep it interesting. Cool. The puppets and fossils and all that kind of stuff. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I mean, so, um, talking about you know the 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 time when we kind of that we spent together and that kind of thing um so i was trying to remember as i was preparing for this um we it was i think probably when i was kind of 18 or 19 and I, yeah i think that's probably about right and i'm 35 now so we're talking you know the best part of 15 years ago well, we we went to pilgrims hall in 2000 so i don't know how long we've been there when you came along to New Harvest, we, we were a couple of years before we joined New Harvest, and I think you were a couple of years after that. So probably, yeah, that I think two thousand and four, five. Did you turn up there? That sounds about right. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. It's about fifteen um, years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was a real. Um, so, so I was probably kind of a year into my time. So this is like I say when I just I just finished school and I was um, starting this kind of really as a voluntary position at a church in Essex, um, exploring youth work and whether that was something that I wanted to do long-term, which in the end it was something I wanted to do long-term. Um, and working for a church, which I, which I look back at with a lot of fondness in terms of the people and the characters and the, the love and the hospitality that I felt and some mixed feelings about some of the theology and some of the things that were taught and believed and that kind of stuff, which we can maybe come on to later on. Yeah, um, sure. But it was a real like formative kind of year for me. And I, I guess probably about a year in, I um, kind of got back in touch with a problem that I'd had as a teenager with anxiety and panic attacks and that kind of thing. And I needed to find, and as a teenager, I had the safety net of being at home and having my parents to look after me. My mum's had her own battles with anxiety, so she could kind of walk me through it. But here I was by myself and just kind of looking for somewhere to feel safe and somewhere to feel supported and that kind of thing. And I, I will embarrass you by saying this, I think, but, but you, it wasn't so much Pilgrim's Hall, it was you, I think, where that place for me for a long time, that you, I used to come once a week to Pilgrim's Hall, where you were working at least part of the time as a shepherd, which I thought was really, really cool. And we'd walk around the field with the sheep. And it was just like, um, just like getting into a hot bath for my mind, basically. It was just, it was just a soothing time outside with somebody like you, who's a, you know, a, a, a peaceful person. Um, and it was really, really important to me those times at, at Pilgrim's Hall. So I think it, like, it's it, it's just worth saying that because there is stuff um like i say theologically about that time in my life which i'm quite critical of yeah. but on a personal and emotional level what i what i never would want to come across as being is dismissive or angry or anything like that because it was it was really really valuable to me so do you remember that day with the horse 
Ah, the horse. No, refresh was, my memory. It was a wonderful moment. I was explaining to you why uh, Joe, my shire, was a bit dodgy because he'd never been broken properly. Cause, and he said, oh, how do you break a horse? I said, well, you, you bring them into lots of situations where there are things that would frighten them and you just stand by them and stay calm and they read your calm and realise it's okay and they don't have to be frightened. And, you, and for, you, for you, I remember you saying, oh, my goodness, a load of pennies just dropped. Yeah, yeah. Well... Uh, so that's really interesting because I, I don't remember that one particular thing, but I can, I've got three or four other things that I, which I remember, which come straight to mind. I remember having a conversation with you about the sheepdog um, and about how you use the sheepdog to keep the sheep safe and to corral them from one field into another and that kind of stuff. And the sheep's experience of the sheepdog is that it's something scary to, to run from, but actually you as a shepherd know that this is what's best for them and that they will be okay. Um, and there's a few little bits of wisdom like that, that I still kind of occasionally dig up when, when anxiety kind of rears its head again, I still kind of hold on to those. The, the lessons, like in terms of like the things that we talked about, but also just the experience, just the kind of emotional quality of kind of hanging out there at Pilgrim's Hall with you and the animals and that kind of thing. Yeah, I do, I do remember one slightly traumatic experience where we had to try to catch a pig. Do you remember that? Oh, I just, you know, pigs are just bad news, aren't they, really? <laughs> There's nothing good about pigs. <laughs> so... Pigs are wonderful things. Cows are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Pigs I... are always bad news. It was, it was, uh, so I'd showed up and I was looking for you and I bumped into somebody else who worked at Pilgrim's Hall. I said, have you seen Lee? I haven't seen him anywhere. And he went, oh yeah, um, he's waiting for you actually. If you go to where the pigs are. So we went to where the pigs are and you said, right, we're going to catch a pig today and uh, we need to load it onto the back of this van and uh it's it's going off to the abattoir which already like one of the things that's changed since we hung out lee is that i'm a vegetarian now but already i had those it's impulses probably then. <laughs> it probably was <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had this traumatic afternoon of like trying to corral this pig onto the we back never of did van. did we no we did didn't man she's just too big i think eventually we gave up and somebody i can't remember who it was one of the one of your pilgrims hall colleagues said i think you said we're just gonna have to do it ourselves aren't you and one of your colleagues said yeah shall i go get your shotgun and i think you looked at me and probably saw my trembling lip and thought, and said <laughs> should we leave it until tomorrow Let's <laughs> another day yeah, yeah which i was really grateful for i'm so glad you missed that because that was about the worst day of my life at pilgrim's hall <laughs> i can imagine i'm not sure i want to talk about it but it turned into a very gruesome experience and the, the only people left standing at the end of the day able to help apart from myself, was Matt, my little boy. He was about eight at the time. Yeah. <laughs> the last one helping when everybody else had run out of stomach. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds traumatic. Oh, it sounds yeah. <laughs> Poor old pig. I mean, we did a decent job of it in the end. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, for what it's worth, the I, I don't eat any meat anymore, but if I... I I think a life for a pig at somewhere like Pilgrim's Hall, where they're free to graze and live and that kind of stuff, as opposed to a battery farm. That's, yeah. you know, if, if we're going to eat meat, that's the way we should be doing it. I am it. really fussy. And, uh, and, and one of the lovely things here is that um, most of what we get, we know the people that keep it. Because, I mean, yeah. down, I was helping a guy put up a polytunnel for his lamb in yesterday morning. But they, they gave us a sheep for Christmas, you know, and oh, cool. it's, it's all it's all local and swapsies and shareses and uh, it's part of the fun of living in the country. And I'm, I'm still very fussy about where big things come from. Because yeah. Do have a hard time. Most sheep and cows don't have a hard time, whatever they tell you. Yeah. But I respect people's decisions on all that. I mean, I go into that kind of thing because I was going to become vegetarian. Didn't Is that right? Want to. 
Yeah, yeah, but I, I felt I wanted to take responsibility for any meat or animal products I was using, which took us into the self-sufficiency route and um, ended up doing all the other things that we did, including some quite big-scale farming up into Linton. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I'm actually, you know, the average British farmer, they love their animals. They don't do a bad job. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's always the odd rogue that's worth avoiding. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think there are the kind of battery farming type stuff, which I think is, is pretty grim. But I think, as you say, the, you know, your, your average farmer and people doing the type of stuff that you were doing. Um, I've, I've got I've got no bones to pick with. I think it's uh, that's the way that's an interesting choice of words. Bones to pick, isn't it? Maybe I should have picked a less carnivorous choice. <laughs> Um, but let's like I, I'd love to um, we, like I knew you from that point in your life, but I wonder if we could go back to before because I my memory of what you've told me from before you were at Pilgrim Hall and before you got into faith and um, found Christianity is that you were a biker and involved in some pretty kind of tricky bikery type stuff. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I was, I am still a biker. I've got a nice big old Triumph out in the garage right now. Really? Cool. Yeah, yeah. But so, so yeah, it was, um, I'd, I'd been to, uh, I'd grown up in a fairly rough patch on the edge of East London and um, found a place of security with the whole biker scene thing. Because uh, I still say that, you know, the church could learn a lot about loyalty and all that kind of thing from, from the biking world. They were very, very good at looking after each other. And I, I fell in with that scene, which was great. I was I was actually never that bad. I've, I've got fairly disappointing testimony. You're supposed to <laughs> killed six guys and done a lot of drugs and all that. No, I never did any of that. Um, I was the nice guy, really. Um, okay. I, I, but I was on the edge of getting involved with some pretty nasty crime with my two best mates, mm-hmm. um, one of whom was subsequently murdered and the other ended up in jail for a long time uh, for something that he did do. So, you know, I could have gone, gone either way, really. And... Uh, but yeah, that was the point at which I, I met Jesus for myself and introduced largely by the, the Christian biker guys, evangelists that were knocking around at that time. And what does that, do, do you mind if I, so I, I know what I think you mean when you talk about meeting Jesus, but for the people who are listening to this who have no experience of faith or religion, um, what, what did that look like? What, what was that process like? I think I think it's possible to meet him in a number of different ways. So but mm. my experience was, I guess, firstly meeting him through the people that knew him, that were talking to me about him, because they were so authentic in their faith. And what, what was there was uh, a selfless love that I hadn't really seen in anybody else. And in a culture, that scene where everybody was doing what they wanted for personal satisfaction, whether it was the sex or the drugs, whatever it might be, these guys were just all they really seemed to live for was looking after other people, um, serving other people, caring for each other. And anyone could join in with that care bubble thing that they had. And uh, it was just very, very attractive. So I think I saw him first in those people's lives. Uh, but then I did have a, just a, a, a spiritual experience uh, one night in a field on my own, on a dark night, about three o'clock in the morning, um, where I, I did genuinely experience the presence of God as I, the first time I'd really prayed, actually, and I was moaning to God about how he wasn't looking after these guys, because these two friends of mine who were the Christians that had some pretty heavy stuff going wrong. And I was saying to God, well, if you're real, why don't you look after your own guys? And, I, and he didn't say anything to me. 
but just had this sense of overwhelming power and presence and love and acceptance. And it was like all the gaps between the stars were full of this presence. Wow. Uh, and I thought, oh my goodness, you are there, you're real, you're that big, and you're actually interested in listening to me. Mm. So I'm yours. And that was it. That's up to, from that moment on, I considered myself his. And uh, yeah, so that's how it was for me. But lots of other people have very different experiences. You know? Of course, yeah. I'm really, I'm really interested by a phrase that you used there, which was, um, you said, if you're real, why don't you look after your guys? And I was reflecting while you were talking that, I mean, I, I have zero experience of biker gangs, so I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to know what I'm talking about. But my, my understanding of those kinds of, whether it's biker gangs or the kind of gangs that young people are getting involved with in, in East London, you know, what, whatever it is, um, there's a sense of... Uh, I think you used the word loyalty earlier on, like these are our guys, this is our family and we will protect and defend our guys and our family at the expense of everything else. You know, so the people who are outside of our bubble, our gang, you know, whatever it is, we will pretty much decide not to care about them for the sake of protecting our, our own, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I guess there are some interesting kind of parallels between that kind of way of thinking and kind of religion and faith. I think religion at its worst does that same thing of a kind of tribalism. It kind of says, these are our guys and everybody else is wrong. You know, these are the people who, who are right. And these are the people who are wrong. These are people who are good. These are the people who are bad and will protect our guys. Um, whereas faith at its best, I think, really challenges that um i think jesus probably spent quite a lot of time challenging that in the kind of religious people uh, 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 his well, contemporaries somebody wise did say didn't they the church is the only organization that, that exists for the benefits of its non-members that's that, right yeah that's how it should be that's the authentic version and that that's why i say what those guys were like in that scenario that's how they were yeah they were everything they could be for everybody else who wasn't a christian uh, yeah yeah. And I think that has very much stuck with me. And some of my church people find it a bit difficult that I'll, I'll spend hours and hours with some of our really dodgy people in the community, perhaps more than I will drinking cups of tea with those who are already in, you know, but it's who needs the doctor, isn't it? It's the sick that need the doctor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, I mean, the, it it's it's almost too obvious to say, but that's kind of what Jesus did quite a lot of time doing, wasn't it? It was hanging out with the kind of dodgy people and the people on the outside of, they are of fun. the gang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Every yeah, bit they should have a few dodgy people on their Facebook feed just so they got some jokes to laugh at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you can't yeah, tell I, anybody, but you can laugh, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's something about, you know, even beyond the kind of um, they're fun and they add a level of humanity to, to our, our lives and that kind of stuff. There's something about, I think if we want to look for like the echoes of God, of the echoes of Christ um, here today in the 21st century, I think you're more likely to find them in the people who are cast out, the people who are on the outside rather than the people who are on the inside. Yeah. And they do surprise you the way, you know, the people that are making the massive difference. This has been an interesting year that has revealed the best and worst of a lot of people, isn't it? And uh, yeah, some of the people who have risen to serve the neighbors, the communities who've really given selflessly, you know, they wouldn't have been on your hit list 
of expectation, yeah. and others have, have really pretty much just disappeared into the background of self-reflection. And that's okay. People are fearful, and I get that. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, what you did for the least of these. Jesus said, didn't he? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people doing things for Jesus who have no idea that they're doing it for Jesus, and I, I, that thrills me because they can have that reward. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, I tell you, what, that's one of, one of my favorite and also the bits of the Bible that I find scariest is the 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 bit where and I'll, I'll say the whole thing again for the sake of listeners who, who aren't familiar with the Bible. But, you know, Jesus kind of talks about the end of times when we show up at the pearly gates and that kind of thing. And there's um, there are two groups of people and there's a there's a group of people who say, look, you know, we we called you Lord. We followed all of your rules. We did. I'm absolutely paraphrasing here. <laughs> we did oh, all right, the stuff. We did all the stuff that you asked us to do. Um, and Jesus goes, but I never knew you. I never knew you. And then you get the other group of people who are going, I don't remember doing any of this for you. Um, and Jesus is going, but you did, you did do it because when you did it for the least of these, when you did it for these other people, you did it for me. And I, I love, and I find scary the idea that there are people who speak all of the religious language and i include myself in that group of people you know we speak the religious language we know what we're doing we know the bible we know how to sing the hymns we know the right things to say in bible studies and that kind of stuff but in that story there are people who are in that camp to whom jesus says no you 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 got it wrong you you had this mixed up um but the hopeful thing is that there are people who presumably don't know all of that stuff and they're right there doing the stuff that Jesus wants them to do. Um, so I, yeah, on a personal level, I find that quite scary because I right. am one of the religious people. Yeah, but it's, it's, I think hospitality is about the heart. It's, it's whether your heart is open to others. And I think that's the whole core of the thing is reversing the fall where the thing that went wrong was people became selfish and, and the gifts that they were given to bless others they used to take. Simple as that. So redeemed humanity just looks like the opposite of that, where instead of living for ourselves and our own needs and wishes, we live for, we're looking, we've got the eye out for the other. What does, what does the other in my world, in my neighborhood, what is their need? And seeing those people, just seeing people, uh, a little bit of a, a bit of a revelation, if you like. I mean, it's all in James, the, the book that Luther wanted removed from the Bible, you know, he talks about it. <laughs> Ultimate evangelical. There you go. Uh, um, you know, in the Ten Commandments, it says don't make any, an idol. Don't make anything an image in the image of God to worship. Just worship me. And I thought, what was that about? And I thought, I, know exactly. I suddenly got it. God has already made something in His image. Is you? Yeah. yeah. So if you want to honour Him by honouring an image of Him, honour each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's so simple, you know. And I think um, ultimately that is what it's all about. You know, seeing seeing the God in one another, and it is what James says. You know, with your lips you. On one hand, you bless God, and then you curse a person made in His image. It shouldn't be. Yeah, and it shouldn't. You know, if we're going to say we're honouring God, how do we honour those around us? How do we serve, love, um, be a source of life to those around us? Well, I, 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 absolutely. One of my favourite um, authors is. Oh, in fact, I've got his book here, James Allison, who wrote these series of books called "Jesus: The Forgiving Victim." Okay. Um, and he, in one of those, he writes an essay which is called something like um, Jesus' fraternal relocation of God. And he interprets the whole Jesus story as 
moving, not moving God, but God moving himself or God's self to being on the level of humanity. So he kind of says that Jesus' mission is to almost dethrone the image of God that people had. And so when he talks, you know, he, he uses phrases like call no man your father, because he has this idea that like, if you begin with that, this is kind of going back to your biker gang thing. You know, if you begin with what's the thing that makes, that defines my tribe. Okay. We worship God up there. So we're right. And everybody else is wrong. So you have that kind of like, um, hierarchical kind of you start with the top and everybody who fits under that top is part of our family and what jesus does is he takes the top of the hierarchy and moves it to the bottom to amongst us to amongst where the people are so the, that's the incarnation exactly exactly yeah, that's christmas in a nutshell yeah and it's not just something that happened 2000 years ago according to james Still allison it. it's a it's a it's it's a way of living today so where do we find god exactly what you've just said we find it in our brothers and in our sisters and in our neighbors and in our enemies and it, you know in in the messiness of humanity that's where god reveals himself and i i've definitely i'm, I'm just wondering whether i would have said this when in in the time that we were spending together because i've my faith looks so different now to what it did then, but I think I probably would have said this even then. I don't think Jesus came to earth to start a new religion. I don't Absolutely think that was not. Jesus' goal. If he anything, came to he... start a new humanity. Yeah, yeah. And if anything, he seemed to be kind of quite critical of religion and like, let's oh, tear absolutely. this down. I, I was, it's, it's very uh, salutary when you're reading the, the Gospels. If you, if everybody who reads the Bible reads it as if they're already one of the good guys, so they read it as if they are the disciples. And out there are enemies in the form of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the good guys. They were the religious ones trying to obey Moses, trying to keep the law. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but it become this legalistic thing. If you, if if you if you're listening, watching this as a churchgoer, read the Gospels again as if you were a Pharisee, and let Jesus critique you. Yeah, and yeah. that is a much more useful exercise, especially when you come to things like the seven woes in Matthew. My goodness, you get the end of that, and you think, oh, have I ever got anything right? You know. And that you, but, but if you let him critique you, because there were good, you know, there was Pharisees that buried him at the end of the day. We loved him so much and took a chance and mm -hmm. stood up for him in the council. There were good guy Pharisees too, um, because because their heart was to get do the right thing, but you know, their good intentions and all of that. Legalism is our is our greatest enemy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you just reminded me, actually, in, in that church that we were both going to at the time, I'm always a little bit nervous about naming people in churches and stuff on the podcast because they're, they're real people and they have their own stories to tell. So I don't want to kind of do too much of that if they're not here to kind of and talk themselves. Them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I really loved and which still I still kind of hold to is when we did communion in that church, the minister of that church would always say, everybody's welcome to join in with communion. The only prerequisite for this is that you have an awareness of yourself as needing it. So if you don't feel like you need this, if you feel like you're one of the good guys already and you don't need any help, then that's fine. Maybe this isn't for you. But if you have a sense of yourself as, you know, to use that religious language, a sinner, if you have that, that sense of yourself as needing help, as, um, yeah, as, as, as needing this support from something bigger than yourself, 
then this table is for you, whether you're a Christian or not. And, you know, I've not heard really many other people talking about communion in that sense, whether that's in the kind of traditional Anglican church, which I now kind of call home, or in free evangelical churches like that one. That, that was quite a unique but really important message for me. I think he was very good, actually, in a lot of ways. And, I, and there's a lot of things that I learned there in the teaching there that I, I shamelessly plagiarized, especially the annual talk on forgiveness that he always used to do. Do you ever hear that one? Refresh my memory. He used to try it out every year, just the bones and mechanism of making forgiveness doable. Okay. And I've used that over and over and over again with people. So well, I think we learned some fabulous stuff there. Yeah. Um, yeah, a few, um, few wonky bits here. And they find a church without a few wonky bits, really. Of course, yeah. But yeah. that, that that approach to communion is something certainly that I try and emphasise. He's talk, talk, you get these little odd lines in the liturgy, don't you? Like, um, we come because we love the Lord a little and would like to love Him more. Yeah, I yeah. like that. You know, it's and I, I more and more notice that if I've if I've preached and then I do the the communion, there always seems to be a line in the communion liturgy that reinforces what I've been preaching. Almost whatever I've been preaching, yeah, really yeah. clever. That's, that's in there. I, I mean, I. I I, I and it sounds like you've been on a similar kind of journey to me um, in the past kind of decade or so. Um, I've moved to a place of really, really loving liturgy, and just to, to, so to translate that, uh, you haven't, did you say? No, I still really struggle with it. Oh, I, really? Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, let's let, let me just say so for listeners. Liturgy um, is oh, it's, it's quite hard to define liturgy, isn't it? But it's basically almost like the, the pre-written parts of the service the words which people have spent hundreds of years creating and crafting and if you go to for example a roman catholic church anywhere in the world on a sunday morning the services will more or less follow the same pattern and use the same words and it's that pattern and those words which we call the liturgy and i have i think probably in the time which we're talking about when we were hanging out together i would have probably been quite critical of liturgy because i would have found it um a stifling thing. Like, I don't want to read somebody else's words. I want to use my own words. Um, and I've now got to a point where I find it a very liberating and a freeing thing because I often don't have my own words. Mm. Uh, and one of the things in that communion liturgy, one of the phrases is, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the words and I shall be healed. And I remember talking about that with, uh, with some people from the cathedral where I used to work. Um, and the people are saying, I find that a really difficult thing because it feels so kind of like I'm not worthy. It feels really like I'm a terrible, bad person. And, you know, I don't want to feel that way, you know, and I don't think that God sees me in that way. And I was saying, I, I actually, I find it a really liberating thing because it takes the pressure off to be a good person. You know, it's saying yeah. I'm, no matter how hard I try, I'm going to, um, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to get this wrong. So just, just you do it, God. You do the work for me. Um, and in my mind, that's quite a liberating thing because it's like it the has pressure's got, I mean, It's got some real benefits. I mean, I, I, I think it's what, when you've got a difficult funeral, having the Anglican funeral liturgy prayers to, to lean on is such a gift. Because, mm. you know, how do you, how do you reinvent words every time for something as painful as, as the things that people are going through? Um, to have that framework as, as a person leading a funeral... And for the people involved in the thing, it gives you a, a net of safety, a structure that you can you can walk through and feel held. Um, so it's got tremendous value for things like that. But, um, yeah. yeah. 
when it really is when you said the same thing every week especially if you've got four services on a sunday and you've said it four times okay that's fair enough making it sound meaningful <laughs> on number sort of fourth fourth time round is quite tough sometimes <laughs> yeah. you mean this stuff <laughs> yeah no that's fair most people don't have that experience of it yeah yeah but, I am. I'm, I'm. I'm still very sort of free churchy on the inside. I have to say, all that all that formation stuff they're supposed to do to you at college didn't really work for me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that. Can we talk about that? Because um, yeah. I feel like the the Lee who I was hanging out with fourteen, fifteen years ago would have absolutely not been up for becoming an Anglican priest. Um, even potentially using the word priest, I would imagine you probably wouldn't have been that up for at that time. So tell me what's happened in between the time. Oh, and you can also <laughs> tell me that I misread it, that you were always up for it. It was always part of the plan. But um, what, like what happened in between in, those t- in that time? Well, it's, it's a funny one, really. I, I don't use the word priest. I avoid it at all costs. I have to say, okay. uh, I'm saying vicar because that's the job. I just, uh, I, I'm a firm believer in the, that everybody knows Jesus is a priest. Everybody who's connected with him is point part of that joining earth and heaven mm-hmm. so I avoid the term um I know it's there what happened when well, I was on the mower mowing the front lawn of Pilgrim's Hall two years before we left when God first said to me I, I just I was praying Lord do I do this forever I'm loving this fine if, I, if this is it and he said no I want you to be a vicar and I said what a real Anglican one and he said yes and that was the end of the conversation and I shelved it until we two years later we went down to the Abbey or I moved to, to up the estate manager job there, mm-hmm. 300 acres of Exmoor. And almost the first thing that happened is the uh, vocations guys were scouting us out. And uh, it was a case of lie or own up that I'd heard this all a couple of years earlier. <laughs> Got on the, um, you know, the sifting wagon, whatever they call it. Um, yeah. And uh, tried my very best to muck it up because I didn't want to do it. Really didn't want to do it. Uh, and I, th- and I thought, well, what could be worse than finding yourself being a vicar without being absolutely sure that God put you there? So I tried to muck up all the interviews, said all the wrong things, and somehow passed a, you know, the selection thing and ended up doing it. So no one more shocked than me, really. And I still wonder <laughs> every once in a while, what am I doing? This is such a bad fit. Uh, and there are things that I really struggle with, but, but you do get this window of training. And I, I, oddly... I put my St John's Trinity on. Oh yeah, so you do, yeah. The college that I went to up in Nottingham, two years at college, and that did give you a chance to really hammer through some of those things that you think, well, if I'm going to do this, I've got to have answers for this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And um, so that couple of years was spacious enough. I don't know why people moan about doing a degree. It's not that hard. Come on, <laughs> I was an old codger. <laughs> anyway. I um, agree. I think it was all this time to study stuff and find things out. So I, I, I did hammer my way through uh, some of the big issues that, that were standing in the way of me walking into this role. So there's, there's two things you've talked about that I am desperate to know more about. So I'm trying to think which one to ask you first, but let's, let's, so I want to know about the, what those big issues were. I'd love to find out what they were, but also I think, and again, especially for people who, don't have a kind of faith or religion background the conversation with god that you've just described while you were sitting on your mower um i so i so i toyed with going into ordination um and started the process um and the language of vocation which is just a posh word for calling um 
came kind of kind of came up all the time and you know obviously there's this question of is this something that you want to do or is it something that god is calling you to do and even to this day i still kind of have a like uh, how do you know the difference you know like i there have been times in my life especially when i was more in the kind of charismatic evangelical kind of church where where we met where i made everything very religious and very spiritual so you know every decision that i made was god's call you know like and and there are things looking back that i felt like you know I've, i strongly believed god was telling me to do this and now looking back i think I don't think he was, mate. I, I, think, I was just kidding myself on that one. Yeah. Like I can remember this probably before yeah. I knew you. Um, but for a little while, I thought God was calling me to go to Africa. Do you know why that was? Because a girl that I fancied was going to Africa. Um, and well, I managed to... that one. So, <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. But I managed to convince <laughs> myself that that was God's will because that was like, yeah, maybe it is God's will for me. Um, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, like I say, with hindsight, that's really laughable. But obviously what you're describing is different. What you're describing is a real life-changing moment that took you on a path to where you are now. And I'm assuming when you say God told you that he wanted you to become ordained, that there wasn't kind of a, a literal voice from heaven. Um, or was there? <clears throat> it's always difficult to know how to put that, isn't it? Um, yeah. I would say I've act that was one of the occasions where I'd say I did actually hear words in my head as loud as if someone had been stood next to me saying them. Really, and really? Just bypassed my ear. And that, that one, that doesn't happen all the time. I think I, I think we hear God in a lot of different ways. Um, probably less than 20 times in my life I've had it that clear. Um, That's still quite a lot. Probably is quite a lot, yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, the more I go on, the more I realise God has spoiled me with these things. I do seem to have seen things and heard <laughs> things that other people just don't get. And I think, oh, yeah. God, that's not fair. Bring it around a bit. Um, <laughs> but I think most of the time, you know, quite often you, you know, you a song on the radio and you feel suddenly the lyrics jump or something like that. You read in a book and the line jumps off the page and you think, oh, is God highlighting something for you? I think he does all kinds of things like that. But no, on that one, it really was. I was mumbling away, praying half-heartedly and boom, it came straight back. Wow, wow. so um yeah varies so i'm I'm just thinking um one of the jobs that i've done um in between then and now is working as a chaplain to a mental health hospital um and i can remember one day going onto the ward and the staff on the adolescent ward and the staff saying um tim there's this guy i he could really do with speaking to the chaplain um and they kind of gave me a little bit of a brief they said so, so you know he is going through a psychotic episode um, and he's like, you know, he's, he's safe that, uh, as most psychotic people are like, he's not violent, but he's seeing and hearing things that aren't there. Um, but he has also got a really, really strong faith and he'd like to talk to somebody who, you know, speaks that language. So I spent a bit of time with this kid and um, he was, I mean, there were, there were clearly things that were psychotic um, in terms of, you know that what you've just seen isn't there isn't real um and but then there was other stuff which was much harder to place in one camp or the other so he would talk about how god tells him that he's his son and i was saying or not saying i was thinking in a particular church setting that would be an absolutely normal and accepted thing to say and a celebrated thing to say in a, in a different setting, in a mental health hospital setting, 
that would be a, a red flag. Like, uh, what does that mean? Or, you know, is it like a Messiah complex kind of thing? Is it, do you literally believe that you are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and I guess like, uh, it would like having that conversation with him was really like treading through a minefield of kind of like, what are the things here that I should be encouraging and celebrating? And what are the things that I should recognize as a symptom of an illness that he has that needs to be treated with medication? Um, and I guess, like, uh, so let me be clear. I'm, I'm, sorry, say again. There's always the third possibility as well, isn't there? But carry on, sorry. Well, so, yeah, so I was going to say, uh, I'm intrigued. We, we can come back to that. Uh, let me be absolutely clear that I'm in no way suggesting that that's your experience at all. But to people who don't have a faith experience, that idea of like hearing another voice in your head would almost be quite a scary thing, potentially. Um, like, what you know what's wrong with me how do how do i know that if this is if this is really the voice of god or if this is just something that like my mind has manufactured um and i guess to take that onto a more like almost mundane level we have this problem at the moment with you know the kind of QAnon um white supremacist kind of movement in america who are believing things which just simply aren't true and how do you how do you work with people like that to discern, look, here's what's true and here's what's either a lie made up by your mind or by the media or, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I can't, I'm, I'm not, I haven't really formulated a question, but you can see where my thinking is going. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you've got a basic framework of, uh, let's not do what is truth. We could do what is truth and be all afternoon. Yeah. So if, you, if you made the jump of believing in God and believing that the scriptures are in some ways authentic and you drenched yourself in them. You've got a basic idea of what God is like and uh, that he's good and gracious and kind. And, and um, if that, if that was a terrifying experience, I think that probably wasn't God. And I've, I have had terrifying spiritual experiences because I was involved in other things before I was a Christian, which were much darker. Mm. And some of those things freak the lots it's out of you. But when it's God, it comes with peace and, and joy and kindness and uh, you can feel fairly secure in it. I think it's fascinating the extent of overlap. I mean, the amount of people uh, who, who are in labels as, as being mentally ill who have religious delusions. Mm -hmm. it's, it's far more, it's, it's incredibly disproportionate, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I believe there is a, a quite a big area of crossover that is not identified between emotional and spiritual affliction. And, uh, and we, we just put everything in the mental health bag and don't account for the fact that there is a potential of a spiritual sickness that's going on with somebody as well, mm. which no amount of drugging will heal, but Jesus does. So mm. that's personal little beef. Um, what was the question? Oh, there wasn't really one. <laughs> <laughs> it was earlier. Um, yeah, so let, let me let me come at it from a slightly different angle so i think like some of the the great heroes of the faith like if we if you, like uh you i think st francis sorry say again you write them all off as nutters these days exactly exactly i think so st francis who is one of my heroes uh probably not very well mentally and i guess there's like i think that there's there's good in the current way of looking at mental health, which is recognizing what needs treatment and how to treat people and that kind of stuff. Um, and also there's a kind of like, 
if we're just trying to make everybody normal, what are we losing? You know, that it's normal anyway. Why should we be normal? Exactly. So no, I think it's, um, if you've, if you read the little book by, um, it's called the psychopath test by John, John Ronson. John Ronson. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I love that book. I think that is absolutely fascinating. And a lot of the things that we assume are well-documented, well-studied mental illnesses. We're kind of dreamt up out of a hat and on a Friday afternoon, one night in the 60s kind of thing, without an awful lot of... And we just take all those things as being legitimate illnesses. And they were pretty much dreamt up on the spot. And uh, you think... We, we, we like to slap a label on people. And uh, I think life's yeah. more complicated than that. Tell, just remind me, because it was a long time since I read the John Ronson thing, when you talk about them being dreamt up on the spot, what, like... Um, he talks about this, this little conference that was held by the, you know, it, when, when, when the whole professional psychiatry was really quite young, mm-hmm. um, and they just drew up this list of 60 or 70 mental illnesses based on the observations of each of them of one or two people, and gave them all a name, and just used those things yeah. ever after as syndromes, without really working out if there's a connection or common causes or, or what it was all about. Mm. So, so it's, it's got some pretty shaky foundations in parts, but I, I'm out of my field of expertise, really. Well, and, and so am I, absolutely. But that's okay. It's a podcast. Podcasts yeah. are all about people talking about yeah, stuff we, they don't know anything about. We need to own up when we're potentially talking to other, <laughs> don't we? Yeah. Quoted. yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. I, I am. So I would say, um, that anxiety we've talked about this already a little bit has been a kind of feature of my life that I've had since I was a teenager and there are moments when having that label is really helpful because there are moments when I can go oh I know what this is exactly exactly I don't need to worry too much about it because I know what it is I know how to define it but there are also times when actually having the label is really unhelpful because maybe if I if I didn't just think about it as kind of like here's a label on that box that I can put away but thought about it more in terms of okay I'm feeling this for a reason my my body is trying to tell me something my mind is trying to tell me something maybe God is trying to tell me something about um maybe I need to look after myself better maybe I'm not being sufficiently compassionate towards myself what's the question that this feeling is asking me and to simply say oh that's anxiety put it to one side like I say, sometimes I think that can be helpful when it's a real, like it really feels like an illness sometimes that needs to be treated. But other times there's more of a kind of like, I'm, I'm, something is trying to break through here and I need to t- take it seriously and listen to it. And usually I find that like I can, I can clock it now in my life when those anxiety symptoms begin to manifest themselves. Usually it's a sign that like, oh, I've not been looking after myself very well and I need to do something about that. So I can kind of listen to what are those symptoms telling me? Maybe it's not an enemy. Maybe it's not a disease, but maybe it's something that like is just my body's reaction to not being very well looked after. Um, so, so anyway, sorry, that's a long winded way of saying that. I think those labels can be really helpful. You know, there are things like, you know, whatever, like psychotic episodes and that kind of stuff. When there is medication for that, that can help people and get people back on track and really help them to live a happier, better life. But sometimes they can be quite, I think the danger is if you get into wrapping your whole identity around something that is ultimately something that's a little bit, we all got bits of things wrong with us. I've got physical illness, Addison's disease. It's okay. I can live with it. 
but there are a whole like, online communities and forums of groups who, who are utterly defined by this illness, Addison's disease. I think, well, I've got something's gone wrong with one of my glands. I'm not going to let it shape who I am. Mm. And I think, um, you know, we, we, we can accept that we have flaws and weaknesses and areas where we need help and treatment, but that's not who I am. And I think what we've found our identity on wants to be something better than the bits of us that aren't that great. Yeah, um, yeah. Me, having God as my, my parent, that's, that's asked if that, that's going to be the foundation. Everything else can go on, but yeah. uh, knowing who I am in relationship with my maker, everything else can be a satellite to that. Absolutely. And I think, I actually think that's a perfect illustration of what I was just trying to talk about, which is that for, for somebody who maybe has just been diagnosed, I don't know what Addison's disease is, but for somebody who's just been diagnosed and are maybe a little bit scared about it, then jumping onto one of those forums and seeing that, oh, there are people out there who are experiencing this and who are still managing to live happy, fulfilled lives can be really comforting. But if you, if that becomes, as you say, your whole thing, if you're spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week on those forums and you're just only thinking about that thing whether it's physical health or mental health then at that point it becomes damaging so sometimes having the label just as a kind of like look this is what's happening and it's okay and this is how you treat it sorry say again what makes the difference what stops what make what keeps you in a place where that thing is a helpful thing to be finding out about or a damaging thing and i think the thing that defines the difference is having your security in something bigger and better so that that thing is diminished in its impact in shaping who you are yeah, how it controls you, and I think um, for me, having Jesus there does that. I think you're right. I think that's exactly right, and I love in the the kind of twelve step programs that that focus on um, a power greater than yourself, admitting your powerlessness, you know, that kind of thing. Which yeah. and obviously, not all mental health problems are addictions, but lots of them, I think, have a similar have have overlap with kind of addictive problems, and the idea of going this is something that is bigger than me, but there's also something that's bigger than that, you know, that, that I, yeah, I, I'm really into the kind of spirituality of the 12 steps. I think it's really beautiful and, and really, really saves lives for exactly the reason that you've just said. Yeah. yeah. Let's go uh, j- just jumping around. Sorry. You look like you're about to, t- before I change the subject. Well, a while back you said you was interested in the things that uh, I dug in about the, at college that were, that, that's literally what I was about to ask. Where you going? Okay, yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there, was two, there were two biggies. Um, one more complex than the other. One was having a legitimate theology of uh, sacraments that I could work with with integrity. Can you... Uh, uh, so for this, the sake of people, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Um, people believe all kinds of different stuff about baptism and about receiving holy communion and a lot of those things that people believe are things that i would really struggle with and a lot of stuff in the church of england that happens around those things are things that i would find difficult so mm-hmm. one area was I, w- I just wanted to get to a place where i could do those things publicly without feeling like i was in breach of my own integrity and i did get there with that and the other biggie was um what i really believed about salvation because i've been kicking that one around for a long time who gets saved and how and how it all pans out in the end because if you you can think about these things academically but if you're the guy who's got to walk into the home where someone's just died yeah and you do what are you going to say to these people and the sort of churches that you and i grew up in had a fairly black and white theology about who was in and who was out and Mm -hmm. uh, i'm not sure i can do this job 
carrying that. And I'd had my suspicions growing for a very long time. I just didn't talk about them um, anyway, based on my own reading of Bible. So they were the two big ones. I had the luxury of time to really dig in about and uh, come up with good answers for it. Let's talk more about the salvation thing, because I, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I can remember you and I talking back in the day about salvation and, and kind of having a conversation, you know, it's almost kind of like a conversation that we needed to have in hushed tones behind closed doors because it was so kind of like when you're not supposed to say this. Exactly. Exactly. But I think God's this good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, um, so, uh, yeah, the, the idea that maybe salvation, whatever that looks like, maybe the hope of God is bigger than just for Christians and just for the church. Maybe, maybe people outside of the church can experience that too. I, and like I say, I just, just as you were talking about that, I was thinking, is that a real memory that I have? But I'm sure I can remember kind of having that chat with you and kind of going, uh, you know, don't. Don't, don't tell the church this. <laughs> tell anyone important, but I believe it. Yeah, and of course at college I found it's a perfectly legitimate theology. It was the prime theology in the church for a thousand years. You know, the Christus Victor, the total victory of Jesus over sin and death and the grave and hell and everything else. And uh, and Karl Barth updated it beautifully uh, with his Christocentric universalism. Hey, mm-hmm. chucking it around like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that, legitimate guys who people recognize say these things that I've been thinking and seem to be the case, this total hope of redemption of everything. Mm-hmm. And then you see it's all over the Bible. And you think, well, how did we not see that? How did, how did churches not see that it's all over the Bible? Yeah. Colossians 1, have a look. You know, it's just everywhere, isn't it? This, this hope of, of, of everything coming in, everything being reconciled. It might take a while. But then you're into Catholic ideas like purgatory and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, if you want a great book, um, oh, it's called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Okay. And it's, who is it by? I might have to look for it, but it's so good. He, the guy does a complete explanation of all the biblical terms used for hell and judgment and damnation and all these things. goes through the history of it, all the history of the theology of thinking in the churches how it got really hijacked by Augustine and then Calvin to control people instead of to set them free. And uh, it is just the most wonderful, hopeful piece of work. Yeah. Bradley Jerzak. It's written by Bradley Jerzak. Okay. Well, uh, when I publish this, I'll put a link in the show notes. To, yeah, to the books he, can check he's it out. the guy who heavily influenced the bloke who wrote The Shack. Oh, okay. Uh, most people have come across that. If you haven't, I love the movie. I haven't read the book actually, but you know. I didn't even know there was a movie. I didn't know. Oh, that. it's really. Oh, you gotta look it out. Yeah. The, the, yeah, so good. I didn't know that they'd made that one. Wow. You'll need a box of tissues. It, no, it's, it's profound and beautiful. It really is. Um, and while we're on recommendations, look up the Chosen. Have you come across that little mini series, eight parts so far on the life of Jesus? Oh, no, I don't think I have. I must be thinking, I, I was going to say the name rings a bell, but if it's about the life of Jesus, I don't think so. Yeah, look out, get, look out on Vimeo. Um, there's eight episodes they've made. They're making it as they can afford it. And okay. it's just gorgeous. And I, I felt like I fell, fell in love with Jesus all over again watching that. Okay. I'll check it out, definitely. And again, I'll put a link to it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, recommendations galore. That's my yeah. book for today. <laughs> so, yeah, but Brandy Jozak puts very well what I've been thinking all this time that... Uh, Surely, 
God must redeem it. He's got to take responsibility for what he's made. So tell me, t- t- for again, p- partly for the sake of the listeners, but also actually for, for my own sake, what are we talking about? What, we're kind of, we're using words like redemption and yeah. salvation and that kind of stuff. What, what does this mean? The Christians have traditionally said, uh, you've got to believe in Jesus and our particular 10 point doctrine plan if you're going to go to heaven, not hell when you die. Mm-hmm. Because you're a sinner and, uh, and, uh, you need, and Jesus has died for you but you need to do all these things and believe in him and do these things to accept this gift that he's paid for you uh, by dying for you on the cross. And that's the sort of the shorthand version of the evangelical gospel. Um, But hang on a minute. If he loved everybody that much that he would die for them, would he really put up the hurdles? You know, so I don't, Mm -hmm. I, I do believe the only way to the father is through Jesus, but I don't think anyone's got a monopoly on it on how to administrate that. Mm-hmm. And I think that the victory that Jesus won on the cross over the claim on us of our life because of our sin is, is bigger than, than my ability to say yes or no or reject the church based on what, you know, most people who've rejected the church did so for good reason. Yeah. And yeah. They, they get condemned to hell forever for that. I can't believe that for a minute. Yeah. They actually seen Jesus. No, they haven't. Have they actually rejected him? Probably not. You know, they rejected some horrible, corrupted, you know, bit of nonsense. And um, so, so how does it really work out? You know, I think people will have to have the opportunity to see him for real, face to face. And to, to who could see that? Who could stand before the, the God who made them, who loves them to bits, who died for them, and who is saying to them, please come in. I want you and I love you and I've got all this for you. Who's going to say... No, you're right. I'll go ahead. <laughs> um, I mean, possibly, maybe somebody will say no. But I, I, but even hell has got no doors left on it. Mm-hmm. Hey, what was Jesus doing between Good Friday, when he hung on the cross, and Easter Sunday when he came out of the tomb? He was in hell, breaking the doors off, setting the captives free, leading them out in his train, take, take, taking the keys off Satan. He's beaten it all. Yeah. And that was the solid doctrine of the church for a thousand years until it seemed to be something that you couldn't control people with terribly well. Yeah. So you had to start slapping conditions on it and making it difficult for people. Absolutely. It's condemned. We're, I mean, we're, it won't surprise you to know that we're very much on the same page with that. Um, I can remember, so I, I occasionally do a little bit of teaching uh, at theological colleges um, for youth work students. And uh, I can remember having... Uh, fairly heated discussion with one of the students about this it wasn't there what i was there to talk about at all but it was just a digression that we got onto. um and so this is another so james allison the guy whose book i held up a moment ago it's another thing that comes from well i say it comes from him he got it from someone else um but it, he's where i came across it he talks about the idea that what makes christianity unique among the world the big world religions um or let's say the ancient world religions is that those um, ancient world religions give people a system of goodness to follow in order to earn God's grace. So if you do this, this, don't eat that, do eat that, go here on a Sunday, there on a Friday, um, then all will be well and God will be happy with you. And James Allison's point, is, and that's, that's a caricature. I've had people from other faiths on this podcast who would potentially argue with that, but that's, that's the caricature that James Allison gives. Um, and Christianity um 
kicks against that because the story in Christianity is it's done. It's fine. You are good with God. doesn't matter what you do. Um, you know, you could do anything. You could completely fuck everything. Sorry. I I don't know where you are with swearing, (laughs) but if you completely mess everything up in your whole, in your whole life, um, and it's fine, you're still good with God. And that's that, like, I love that, um, that quote from Julian of Norwich, a saint with a boy's name, who's actually a girl, um, who talks about uh, all things shall be well, and all things shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And in my mind, that's the like, that's the hope of all of this is that it's not God's tribe, who at the end of time, like, hey, we were right all along, you know, like a football team, like we won three nil. But it's, it's like, everything 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 all of creation all of the universe the whole planet every individual person every tongue confess yeah yeah that's an every that's an all as in adam all die so in christ all are made alive it's all in the bible you know look outside the scriptures to find the stuff yeah absolutely but so this student who i was talking to really struggled with that and was basically asking well what's the point in being a christian then if all of this is done anyway. And I found that I really like that question breaks my heart because it means that at the moment you're only, a, you're, you're doing something which is making you miserable because of what you think it'll get you after life. But it's your insurance ticket for eternity. Say again, sorry. It's your, your, your insurance ticket for eternity. Exactly. About living now and recognizing the difference it makes the freedom it gives you in life now. Yeah. Yeah. So t- tell me, I mean, I- I'll-, I'll tell you what, how I answered, but out of interest, if you were talking to that student and he said to you, what's the point of being a Christian in that case, how would you answer that? I'd be saying if the only reason you're a Christian is because you think it- it's your ticket to a good eternity, then don't be a Christian. Yeah. Because there is so much more to be had through knowing Jesus, through having him in your life, the freedom, the healing, the resolution, the peace, the, the security in your identity, the purpose, understanding why you were made in the first place and what you're on this earth for. Mm-hmm none of that has touched you yet for goodness sake you know yeah but i've got churches full of people like that and they're still not sure they're still scared oh, i'm not sure if i'm good enough but i'm going to keep them yeah you know, and, and the, the structure of and, and it's why i really struggle with some of it the structure of the church has held people there and it's all this this inherited baggage that we've got um thank you calvin yeah and Hello, others Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give him a smack when I get there. (laughs) (laughs) God won't mind. (laughs) Sorry, everybody who likes Calvin and Augustine. (laughs) It was a deliberate thing on on Augustine's part that, um, you know, we can't give people this much freedom because they will just be bad and we can't control them. Mm -hmm. We've got to put a little bit of fear that you might not inherit this thing. You might lose this thing if you don't toe the line or they could just do anything. Whereas Jesus is happy to take a chance on us just doing anything. And, and it's, this is the, the great heresy, I think, is legalism. Because, because legalism is the enemy of relationship. And what God really wants with us is relationship. Yeah. And, and, and legalism, as soon as you've got a little bunch of rules, that says, well, as long as I know I'm keeping these things, that's it. Job done. Mm-hmm. I don't need to talk to God anymore. I don't need to have anything else to do with him because I'm keeping my little box of rules. And a relationship goes out the window. And you look at the characters in the Bible that you cannot make rules out of the things that have happened to them. You know, what's Boaz doing marrying a Moabite when Moses says you're not allowed to marry Moabites? You know, the, the Bible's chock full of things like this. Yeah. The, the, the Magi, what are these guys doing? The translators haven't even got the guts to translate Magi into astrologers because everyone knows that's wrong. And yet, <laughs> what, what are they doing turning up, getting it right at Christmas? Yeah. 
yeah. And, and, and you, you can't you can't make a system of rules out of it. And and, and God does that deliberately. Yeah. Go through the Bible. When's the right? What's the right way to baptize someone? There is nothing in the Bible that will tell you. There's ten different methods. Mm-hmm. What's the right way for a person to receive the Holy Spirit? You won't find out. It's all it's all over the place. It's a mess. Yeah. And uh, is it in about getting it right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that and in my mind, and Rant this is over. what. So say again. Rant over. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Fit, fit rant as much as you want. It was a good rant. And that it's very similar to what how I responded to, to the student who I was talking to, which was the, the, the fact that it's not a system of goodness is why I love it. That's why I want to be a part of it, because it tells me it doesn't matter how far off the rails I go. It doesn't matter how much I mess my life up. I'm still OK. Ultimately, I'm still being held. I'm still loved and I don't have to worry about it. Um, and actually being being released from that fear of i have to get everything right i think means that you're more likely to end up getting things right because why do people go off the rails and become you know addicted to heroin or whatever it's it's because of fear i think and so when you don't have that fear anymore just you get you're free fear and guilt are the two worst motivators and decision makers that you can operate from yeah knowing jesus takes them away both You've got nothing left to be scared of, and nothing left to feel guilty about. Because he's absolutely. It. There's another episode of this podcast which I'll just plug uh, with with Sally Nash, who who re- recently wrote a book about uh, guilt and shame, um, and had a really great conversation with her. And th- just uh, just highlighting the kind of irony that we in the Christian Church have this message of forgiveness and love and compassion, and yet our practice so often looks like shaming people and making them feel small for not conforming to what we think is the right code of conduct, whatever it is. Um, and just how, how the irony that the church can be such a toxic place when it holds such a freeing healing message, um, which like I say, there's a whole, there's a whole hour on that on another podcast somewhere. So, so check it out sometime, but um, it, it, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I don't know how to finish that sentence. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's the battle that we're up against in leadership the whole time. I'm sure. Because it's not just, you know, the, the, the body of the church puts that on the leaders to perpetuate as much as anything else. And it is that. I want to know that I'm all right. And it helps me know that I'm all right if I can think that somebody else isn't. Yeah, yeah. And it's, that is, no, I've got to be all right with everybody being all right as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know we 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 so and it's the corrupt nature about yeah. oh, don't get me going. Well, I won't get you going. In fact, uh, I said this would last about an hour, and we've gone we've just gone over an hour. So I think that's probably a really good kind of place to wrap things up with a really good message of hope. Um, and yeah, I've just. It, it does me good to talk to you, Lee. I've really, really enjoyed seeing you and catching up. Um, and yeah, let's do it more often. Uh, so that's it. That's my conversation with Lee. I hope you enjoyed it and found it interesting and thought-provoking. I realised as I was listening back to it that in those last 10-15 minutes, I kind of slightly went into preaching mode. Um, which is something that I try very much not to do on this podcast because it's not about uh, a particular viewpoint or winning an argument. Um, But I 
well, talking to Lee fired me up, I guess. Uh, and that's a, that's a great thing about people like Lee and they, and they make you feel passionate and alive. Um, but I really do try not to do that too often. Um, and my next guest on the show is somebody really coming from a completely different background, with a completely different story to Lee's or mine. Um, not involved in mainstream Christianity at all, but has some experience in Mormonism, which is a belief system which I have been quite critical of. Um, and New Age kind of spirituality, uh, which is another belief system which I've been quite critical of. Um, but he's a brilliant lovely, interesting, thoughtful, intelligent person. And the whole point of this podcast is that it's not about, like I say, winning an argument or convincing people of a point of view, but about hearing and learning from different perspectives and points of view. So um, I hope you'll enjoy that conversation in a month's time. Um, And that's it for now. Oh, uh, good news. I I said on the last episode, I was asking at, at the end of the last episode in this little outro bit, I was wondering why the sound quality is always so rubbish when I recorded in my flat, um, in my house on my expensive microphone um, compared to just being out here in the wilderness with my iPhone. Turns out it's a Zoom issue. That Zoom uh, doesn't save video recordings in high enough definition, so the sound quality suffers. So this episode, this conversation with Lee that you've just listened to, that's the last episode of God or Whatever that's been recorded on Zoom. As of next month, we're using a different platform which records in much better quality. Um, So that's good news. Uh, Cool, all right, like I said, if you like the conversation, please do take a minute to like, subscribe, leave a review, leave a comment, whatever you can do on whatever platform you're engaging with this on. Thank you again so much for joining me. I love doing this. It's a privilege to do it. And I love that, even though it's only got a small audience, I love that people tune in and share their thoughts with me afterwards. And there's always a bit of a conversation that happens after I upload each episode. That's something I really look forward to. So thank you. I love you. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you uh, at the beginning of May, at which point we'll be allowed to socialize outside in groups of six or fewer. So that's something to look forward to. Okay, uh, bye.